Hi, my name is Ramila, and this is Secret Life of Sibs. Millions of people across the world have special needs that affect their daily lives. We often hear about their parents' experiences, but we rarely hear about the people that grew alongside them, the siblings that are fundamentally changed by this experience. I'm one of those siblings, and I hope to share the stories of many more. Our guest today is Caitlin Martinson, a teacher living in Washington State. Well, hi, Caitlin. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, So just to start off, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your sibling. um, Anything that you want to share with us to start? Uh, Well, I grew up in Southern California. I am the oldest of my siblings. I have three younger ones. my sibling with special needs is my younger sister. She is 14 and she has a chromosomal disorder called 1P36 deletion syndrome. That's a pretty big age uh, difference. So you were how old when she was born? I want to say I was around 13 when she was born, somewhere in middle school. <laughs> how was it, you know, being a... I know you have other younger siblings, but how was it after... Or your uh, sister who has special needs was born? Well, it didn't really seem that different from having younger siblings. Um, she actually didn't get a diagnosis until she was about three. Uh, so I just thought she was normal baby toddler. I was like, yeah, that's what kids do. They kind of just sit there. <laughs> um, she's actually not even my youngest sibling either. I have another one that's even younger. <laughs> um, so I'm used to taking care of the rugrats and keep them in line. Yeah. Do you, do you like being a big sister? Um, like growing up, like did you fall into that role easily? I did. And I don't know if that's uh, because I have caretaker tendencies or because I'm a people pleaser, but <laughs> just falling into that nurturing kind of role suited mm-hmm. me. And what was your, you know, experience taking care of, you know, I, all of your siblings, and then also particularly, you know, after your sister was diagnosed, uh, did anything change? Not, well, yeah, I mean, there was changing in the sense as, like, what I thought our relationship would be. Like, I always see people around me and their sisters, and they're like, you know, like, the sister-sister bond is supposed to be this, like, really special thing that you guys are close until you die, basically. And I was like, oh, I might not have that. Mm-hmm. Because then we got the diagnosis. And then at that time, it was a very rare uh, chromosomal disorder. It wasn't well known. So the doctors were telling us, yeah, she has this. Also, she might not walk. Also, she's probably never going to talk. And it was like a lot to take in. My sister's walking fine, by the way. She's doing great. (laughs) She said, screw that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so uh, talking is a thing that's still difficult for with her. So communication is different and it's like, oh, we're not going to have those like, let's talk late in the night about boys, what's going on or any of that typical stuff you see. Um, Mm -hmm. So communication, since it's so difficult for her, it's a lot of, okay, this is what I need. And then like she'll try to convey other things, but it's just very difficult to her school stopped doing things like um, sign language. Huh. And they're like, eh, here's an iPad, use this. But she hates it. 
Um, yeah, so I guess that that bond is what I'm missing out on. Yeah, is she your only sister, or like, are are your other younger siblings brothers? Yeah, they're brothers. So you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's I not do know. the same. I'm just annoying to them, mostly on purpose. <laughs> well, then that's the way it is. But yeah, what you said about um, like having a close relation, like a sister, like a stereotypical sister relationship. I'm sure you were probably what 16 around the time that she was actually diagnosed. So I imagine at that age. I feel like no adolescent enjoys a lot of change um, and especially this type of like scary change, especially given what the doctor initially told you. So uh, do you think that at that age, did you have anyone to talk to about it? Did your parents like talk to you about it at all or? Um, Very briefly, they're like, hey, this is what we found out, but, you know, we're going to love her just the same. Nothing's really changed. Um. I think the other issue, so around her diagnosis, I was actually, um, it was it was a tough year. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, around her time of being diagnosed, my dad was just diagnosed with um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. So at that point, I was just like, okay, one day at a time. Let's figure this out. Um, my dad, it's my dad's not the same as her dad, by the way. Just so it's like two separate families having two completely different issues and trying to navigate those at 16. So I didn't really talk about it too much with my families because I didn't want them stressing out more than they need to. Um, yeah, so I kind of I kind of kept to myself a lot with those. I was like, eh, my family has their things. I don't think people my age are going to understand they're mad because their parents didn't let them go out to McDonald's at midnight. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my parents aren't buying me a car. <laughs> I feel like that's the like 16-year-old complaint. Yeah. So I was like, oh, we are on completely different paths at the moment. I'm going to just take a step back. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, you feel lonely, right? I feel like in high school, um, most of our goals, supervisual though it may be, is to blend in with like our friends and like feel like this on the same playing field as our friends and doing the same things and having. Finding a sense of normalcy, I think, as well is part of it. Exactly. And I feel like having that kind of all shaken uh, in a year, especially especially with your dad's diagnosis, that I can't imagine how difficult that was. But, you know, now, now that you're, you know, it's been many years, you're older, have you, has anything changed in terms of like, can you speak to anyone about this stuff now? Yeah, I am a lot more open about it. Um, mainly just because like, hey, this is my life. This is what influenced who I became today. I'm not ashamed of any of it and I'm not afraid of any of it anymore. And there's a lot of people who like I'll tell them they'll be like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense now because like you are insanely patient. I hear that a lot because I worked at a daycare during the pandemic. <laughs> so my I think a lot of those experiences has helped me um as an adult and it's allowing me to share those experiences with others so that they can have an understanding of what other kids might be going through as well. Mm -hmm. Mentioning, you know, helping other other people um, as well. Do you work, you mentioned working in a daycare. Do you, you know, actively work with children day to day? Do you, um, you said you fall into a caretaking type role, so. Yes. <laughs> um, working with kids especially, I have a teaching credential. Um, so I currently am a substitute teacher for the districts in my area. And um, 
over the course of COVID and everything, when all the schools were shut down, because there was no substitute jobs going around, I um, went into childcare just because I'm like, well, I know how to work with kids and not adults. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that as your uh, sister, or I guess your younger brothers, um, as they grew up, did you play a really active role in kind of like helping your parents? Because I'm sure four children, that's, you know, I'm sure that's a lot to... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have now become very opinionated about parenting for somebody who has no kids. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think that is largely because I did do a lot of um, helping out with my younger siblings. Like my stepdad worked full time, my mom worked part time, as well as trying to help with my sister and all of her different therapies she had when she was younger. Did you always enjoy doing that? Or sometimes was it like, okay, well, this is my responsibility. I got to do it. There were times like that. And like my parents would make it clear, like, you're the older sibling. It is your duty to help out and give assistance with your younger siblings when needed. So a lot of times that meant um, like not going to a slumber party at my friend's house um, and staying home. Yeah. Sacrifices are definitely made, right? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, and like as an adult now, do you have any formal I know that a lot of siblings take on legal guardianship. Have you or do you plan on doing that in the future for your sister or most likely I will. It is something that we've briefly discussed um with my parents and at the time the first time they talked to me about it, I was like freshly out of high school starting college and I was like, okay, I can't take care of myself yet. Talk to me again in like five, ten years. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's it's something we had talked about before and most likely I'll probably end up taking over guardianship roles for my sister. Um out of all my siblings I do have the better relationship with her. So it makes sense. She listens to what I say. She respects me as an adult figure in her life. So it works. Those are always good things to, to have. The dream. <laughs> she listens to me more than her own parents most of the time now. <laughs> yeah, sometimes my brother is the same way. Like, uh, for some reason, I'll like he'll listen to me when he's not listening to my parents sometimes. But, um, but then also sometimes I hate the tone that I'm like speaking to him with because I feel like like I feel like my mom (laughs) and I'm like I'm the same age as you like I should not be sounding like my mother (laughs) yeah like it'll be like one of those things where they're um like okay it's time to put the iPad away and go to bed and she's like yeah whatever and then I'll just say what did mom say (laughs) and then immediately she's like She turns off her iPad and goes running to her room. She knows the tone. <laughs> it's like I didn't use like a mean or yelling tone, but like I got rid of the playful tone. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is so okay. So you said that you would be taking on, uh, most likely taking on guardianship. How you know you also mentioned that you know you have a husband, you're married. Um, before you entered that relationship, have you, did you like have that conversation with your significant other or? Yes. <laughs> I was very open. I said, hey, this is my life. This is probably how it's going to pan out with her. If you're not on board, you know, you got to go. Yeah. And luckily, he never had issues. He actually, we started dating back in high school. So he's been a part of the journey almost the entire time. Oh, wow. I feel like that's rare. (laughs) Yeah, I want to say, I think we started dating maybe a year after her diagnosis. So 
it was still fresh to us at the time and he he was really chill about it. That's amazing. I for listeners, so we're both on the Sib20 Facebook group. Um and I remember seeing a post about your uh I think it was your wedding. And I remember seeing uh I think your sister as a flower oh. girl. <laughs> yes, she was my flower girl. I forgot I posted that. <laughs> I just, you looked so cute. I couldn't help it. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Little secret to get her to cooperate. I told her her job is to walk down the aisle and throw flowers at people as hard as she could. And she was all about it. You see the joy in that picture. She yeah. was living for it. Yeah. She was so, she looked so happy. I'm sure that people appreciated the the enthusiasm and the flower throwing. <laughs> Oh, she was a hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, it looked like it. But I I also, I wanted to ask, so, you know, you've mentioned quite a few things, like ways that you're a different person now, or like the ways that your siblings really shaped who you are now as a person. Like you mentioned being more patient, uh, patient, falling into caretaking roles naturally. How, what do you speak to how else you think that you're different because of your life experiences? I think that my experience has really helped me to be more understanding to different backgrounds and it's made me more willing to try new things. Um, Like if my sister didn't have her diagnosis and wasn't in my life, I probably wouldn't have volunteered at a camp that was geared towards kids with special needs and their siblings. And that gave me an opportunity to then connect with other siblings who also felt lost and trying to figure out their identity next to their siblings. And I think opportunities like that, yeah, like I wouldn't have done things like that um, under different circumstances. Yeah. So actually like attempting to reach out and, you know, seek out people who are in somewhat similar circumstances. Yeah. And I think like not living close to it, I think I could have also unfortunately fallen into the group of people that made jokes and were not quite as sensitive to it. Um, mainly because there's a good portion of my family who's not related to my sister that do make those kinds of jokes and comments, knowing my feelings about it now. (laughs) Um, So I worry, too, that if I didn't have that connection, that I could have possibly fallen in with that line of thinking, and I'm grateful that I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I think about that a lot, too. Um, You know, I... I asked my mom, like, do you think that we'd be as understanding or as accepting of people who are different than us if it weren't for my brother, you know? And I don't think I would be. I think that, like, for example, I'm so, I'm I'm very sensitive and very aware when people use the R word, and I'm not afraid to call them out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I feel like if, if I, my brother didn't have special needs, I wouldn't feel the need to call out someone for it. I, I would... I just wouldn't feel the urge. You wouldn't see the significance of it because at, it wouldn't have been significant. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's what it is for a lot of people. They're like, oh, it's just words. And I'm like, no, it's words that affect an entire margin of people. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have the privilege of not knowing how those words affect people. Yeah. Uh, but I think in a way that like we're privileged that we're, we get to see what a different type of like life is like. Um, And we get to see, I think, a lot of things that, for example, I've learned a lot of what's wrong with the way, like, society works.
tricks and the way that disability accommodations work. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would never have known about that stuff if it, if my family didn't have to actually live it. You know, I'd have no reason to know about that stuff. Yeah, like as an educator, I I look a lot now at special education um, and life skills classes, and I see all these in the schools, and I'm like, wow, it is actually appalling how underserved these kids are and I've worked in several districts I worked in districts as a sub in Southern California so I know Southern California near LA you would think that maybe (laughs) no it was horrible and now I'm living in rural Washington and I'm seeing a lot of the same patterns and um it's like I don't think I would have been as sensitive to these if I hadn't had my connection I was like oh special education that's not my field I'm general ed but the thing is, general ed just means that they shove all the kids no matter where they lie in there either. There's a lot of kids that are struggling within the general education population, and they're being underserved as well. Yeah. Like, special special ed definitely falls by the wayside. I think even a lot of students, I remember, like, you know, most of the time you kind of pretend the special ed classrooms don't exist, which in and of itself is problematic. So paying attention to inclusion and like inclusionary practices and things like that. Again, it's people like us, like family members, people with personal ties that are going to actually think about those things. I think that's actually kind of like a big responsibility, which is not something we asked to be given, but it, you know, but it is that way. Yeah, we definitely, I think, unintentionally, but wholeheartedly take on roles of advocacy as well. Not just for our siblings, but all kids that would fit into some sort of category of having a special need. And, uh, you know, give us give us some time. We have loud voices. <laughs> yes. Sometimes the voices of family members are shut out because obviously we want to give a voice to people who, you know, actually have uh, special needs who are able to advocate for themselves. However, sometimes our siblings aren't in a position to advocate for themselves, you know? So my brother, since he is at the mental age of at around two or three, um, he can't tell people what he needs. My parents and I, we have to fill that role in. And so it's really frustrating Mm -hmm. when we hear rhetoric that's like, well, you're just family. You're not the one experiencing it. Like you shouldn't have a say in this. Like you shouldn't have a voice. I don't know if you've had any experiences or any any experiences like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I personally haven't. Um, but like I think I've at least with um my sister's disorder, we have a really good support system there. Um, with all of like there's a whole group where all the families talk and share their stuff and parents are able to voice um, other families, members are able to voice their feelings about certain things. So I always had that kind of safe space to go to um, where voices were valid. Because when P36 deletion, it's also in its own way kind of considered a spectrum disorder. Every child is affected so differently depending on how much of the chromosome is deleted. So we have some kids who can walk and talk just fine and they have college degrees and then they are some kids who are wheelchair bound and rely on tube feedings and everything like that so with such a spectrum some kids need someone to advocate 
in their behalf and some kids don't and that's fine and in that space like everyone can share their piece really amazing that there's a community for I, I actually wanted to ask how um how prevalent is 1p36 uh, because I I've never heard of it before I met you so <laughs> neither did the doctors when they diagnosed my sister <laughs> um so it's actually becoming more and more prevalent um at the time it was only so rare because doctors didn't know how to find it I believe is what it is because what it is is you have to do genetic testing and you have to look at chromosomes specifically chromosome one specifically the short arm (laughs) specifically in these like areas because they have all the little digits Mm -hmm. and all that um and 15 years ago 14 years ago that just wasn't quite there and a lot of kids ended up being misdiagnosed i believe a lot of kids were misdiagnosed with autism or um i think angel syndrome was another one uh but we're seeing more and more of it and we're actually seeing kids now being diagnosed while they're still in the womb um just because technology has been improving so we're getting more and more uh you know which is great families are getting answers and because our little following and our little facebook pages and everything is getting more people those new families or getting quicker access because the doctors and hospitals are like, well, here's some resources we found. Yeah. Congratulations. You have a new family. There's like, we're growing every day. Oh, <laughs> a good and a bad thing, I guess. But I mean, <laughs> no, they're great. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing how much science has advanced in, in literally just the last decade. Yes. Especially <laughs> genetic testing. Um, yeah. Like my sister, she had to be in the hospital for a week and poked and prodded. And then, after all that, a whole week in the hospital didn't show anything, and then they finally referred us to a genetics doctor who then did her own series of tests, and it was a lot. <laughs> it took a while. And now that families are getting answers a lot sooner, um, that's great because now they don't have to spend three years freaking out, like, why is my child not growing? Why is she not always eating? Or he – sorry, I'm saying she, but they <laughs> – Um, Like, there was a lot of concern with my sister because she wasn't gaining any weight. Like, I want to say for the first two or three years of her life, um, maybe even up to five, she didn't really get past, like, 25 pounds. Um, And then that comes to find out it's just part of her syndrome and who she is. And eventually she did start growing, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you learn something new every day. There's so many of these genetic deletions and very specific ones. And um, it's really good that people are getting proper diagnoses. But, you know, just to transition a bit, I did want to ask you the two questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. So the first, uh, what's one thing that you wish people knew about life as a sibling to a special needs person? Um, I think that it's important for people to know that although we do give a lot of our time and our life to our siblings and it does shape a lot of us, that is not the only thing that identifies who we are. And I feel like we get lost in that. <laughs> um, like I've, I've met another little girl who even he, she herself thought that her sole purpose was to take care of her sibling. And she was the younger sibling. So, uh, you know, siblings are their own people and they are allowed to be their own people. You don't need to feel guilty about that. 
That's a really good reminder, especially when you grow up in a environment that or a society that kind of expects certain things of you and that you kind of form that into your identity when it should not be. Um, well, okay. And the second question, uh, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to someone else growing up in a family like yours? Uh, I would say that it is important to know that your needs are important as well. Yes, you have a sibling who has different circumstances. They have their needs, but your needs don't have to come second. And so I'm seeing that a lot too with uh, with my youngest sibling who still lives at home. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a, entering middle school. He's in a whole new phase of his life where he needs to find himself. And I don't want him to, you know, sorry. <laughs> um, and I can see already the toll that being a sibling has taken on him. And you know, he, he has his own needs too. You don't have to live your life according to your sibling if you need that space to be you. Yeah, it's him starting middle school. That's exciting. But I, also, again, that age is so, again, it's hard for everyone. <laughs> like no one, no one is thriving in sixth grade. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> um, and I think a lot of us carry, yeah, you know, a compliment somebody else on the podcast we were talking about this we kind of wear the oh like you're so mature for your age it's kind of like it becomes a gold star for us and that's so unhealthy oh, yeah. <laughs> like I can very much personally relate to like I love being called like mature for my age like I it felt I I felt so good about it I was like wow like <laughs> look and at me I'm emotional maturity 28 year old no how old am I 27 <laughs> I'm a 27 year old that eats pizza rolls for dinner sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> I'm mature. <laughs> yeah, like we, yeah, we very well may be mature in some ways, um, but like we're also <laughs> very age appropriately immature. So yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Caitlin, if there's nothing else that you wanted to share. You know, I want to thank you for coming coming on here and, you know, sharing your experiences. Oh, yeah, it's been great. I think I've tripped over my own tongue about 10 times. It's, you know, it's cool. It's all good. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking the time to peek into the secret life of Sibs with me and our guest, Caitlin. If you're a sibling, we hope you know that you're not alone. And if you're not a sibling, we hope you got to learn about a new perspective. Go ahead and follow to turn on notifications for upcoming episodes, and look to the description box for a list of resources specifically for siblings. Welcome to The Secret Life, and see you next time. <laughs>